Welcome to Mom Fashions, an honest discussion about the beauty and the burden of motherhood. I'm Emily. And I'm Beth. And we hope these next few minutes encourage, inspire, and remind you that we are all in this together. This is Mom Fashions, a Fort Worth Moms production. Episode 75, Parenting Based on Our Personality. Hey, Mom Fashion friends. We are jumping in today on kind of a fun topic. I'm excited about this. I still feel a little nervous. I don't know why, but... It's going to, I'm excited about our guest for sure. Yes. But I'm just afraid it's going to like point out all my parenting flaws. That's what I'm afraid of. I mean, that's what we do every episode. So okay, I feel fine. like eh, it's nothing new. So <laughs> today we do have a really exciting guest. Our friend Tasha Kobel-Ginn is here. Yay! And she is a writer with Fort Worth Moms and a team member with us. And she's actually here for a very specific and special reason. But I'm going to let her introduce herself. And so, Tasha, will you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here. I'm going to give you a little bit of teaser of what we're going to talk about by first telling you I'm a type one wing two. I am a mother of two energetic and loving toddlers. I have a daughter who will be three in October and a son who will be two in August. Um, I'm a career educator who now has the privilege of coaching and offering leadership development to school and system leaders. And I am a career student, if you will, everywhere from um, finishing my bachelor's at in Aggieland to recently finishing my doctoral work as a horn frog. And now I consider myself a student of the Enneagram, which is what I'm happy to share with you all today. I am a certified Enneagram coach and love to help people think about the intersection of the Enneagram and their life. Yay. So I was so excited when Tasha joined our team. I mean, just in general, because she's a lovely person, first of all. But then I did get like really super excited when I saw all of her specialties in Enneagram. And we've talked about this, I think, quite a bit because both of us have like taken the test and Mm -hmm. done all those things. I'm also, I should say, a type one. Mm -hmm. I don't think I have a wing. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm a solid like poster child just for the one. (laughs) And if you have listened to any episode of Mom Fashions at all, you can deduce that Beth and I have different personalities in Mm -hmm. some ways and that very much reflects in our parenting styles so I'm very excited to kind of talk through how that kind of impacts um, not only like our parenting strengths but we're going to talk about our parenting weaknesses but as a one who always liked to be right this is very hard for me (laughs) okay I think first Tasha for those who are listening who are like what in the world is this word that you're saying and what are you even talking about? Can you give us just a general introduction? Like what is the Enneagram? Very general. Um, The Enneagram is, um, I call it the personality test on steroids. And the reason being, there's a lot of personality tests out there. What I think makes the Enneagram so special and so unique is that it helps you understand why you do what you do and really help you look at your motivations. And it helps you think about how you can be 
more of the person you would hope to be without changing who you are. And then lastly, what I love is it help you understand how to better relate to the people in your life, both the people that you're stuck with and the people <laughs> that you could get away from, but you could actually just learn how to work with them better. Yes. I think that's the part that I find most intriguing is learning about how we can interact better with the people around us by finding out more about their personality and how they yeah. how they function. Um, I will say, and, and Emily, I feel like we're on the same page in this, that our our knowledge of the Enneagram is pretty limited. It is correct. So we've, you know, we've done the test. I've, I've perused a few books, not made it all the way through mm -hmm. any of them, mostly because I like to just read about myself and my <laughs> no, husband. Exactly. And that's about it. So I'm, uh, I'm interested just to kind of dig in more. Yeah. And okay. So can you give us just kind of an overview and, and, because it's mom fashions, we are really looking at it in terms of like parenting styles. Mm -hmm. So could you just give us like a run through, right? The numbers are one through nine. Um, kind of what are the basics of each number? Sure, sure. So I'll give you the number and then kind of what is the um, label for that number, if you will. Got it. Sounds I think the great. label will give you a lot of information. So we'll start there because otherwise I think it'll be too much. So as you mentioned, they're one through nine, and I won't dig into wings that much. I think, I don't know if we'll have the time, but you'll naturally see the wing reference is the number that will come before after, after your actual primary type. So the one um, is moral perfectionist, which is how I identify. Um, so that is the term. I think that term in itself will give you a lot of information. A type two is supportive advisor. So keep your parent hat on, your mom hat on when you think about this. Three, successful achiever. Successful achiever. Um, four, the romantic individualists. So they're romanticizing everything. The five, the investigator thinker. Um, six is a loyal guardian. Seven, entertaining optimist. So they're the fun people in the group. Um, eight, the protective challenger. And the nine, the peaceful mediator, um, which... That term can be a little misleading, I think, when you look at some of the weaknesses. So okay. that's kind of a quick overview. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. Okay, so I made the disclosure. I'm an Enneagram one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the test will say I'm a wing nine, but I just mm -hmm. don't believe it. And, <laughs> and Tasha said she is an Enneagram one wing two, right? Isn't that what you said? Yes. Okay, Beth, confess. Confess. Okay, so here, here is my dilemma. I've taken the test multiple times and sometimes less than 50%. I'm a four, but then the majority of the time I'm a nine. Now those are nowhere near each other. So it seems very odd that I would get that split. Mm -hmm. But as I've read on it, I definitely feel like I identify more with the nine than I do the four. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm a nine and I'm not sure which wing I would be. So wings depend on how you're showing up as yourself. So sometimes one wing will be more present when you're leaning towards some of the attributes you maybe don't want to have or aren't the best for relationships. Mm -hmm. And another wing may show up when you're really showing up as your best self and you're being mindful of who you are and what you're bringing. That's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Okay, what would you say are like 
the parenting strengths of each Enneagram number. So we can dive a little bit more deeply into, let's talk about the good parts first, <laughs> the strengths. I think I want to also just the caveat with anything, it, it definitely is a generalization. So this isn't like take, you know, this is everyone. But I have found that um, those I've worked with with the Enneagram, it tends to be some truth to it. Sometimes we're in denial about the truth, especially the things that aren't our strengths. So I want to keep, want you to keep that in your mind as well. Um, I think the moral perfection is one, you naturally want your kids to have morals and values. So you're naturally thinking about how do you teach them to be good people and good in the world? And for each of us, that means something different. But it also means that sometimes, oh, you said just the good thing. So I'll yep. just stop there. I can't, because I'm alone, I naturally go to the bad thing. Exactly, girl. I know. See, I'm already worried about the bad things because right. I'm alone. The ones also, I think, are consistent with their parenting. So they tend to be more consistent, even with the others. There's certain things that they hold true to that they're consistent about. Um, and that's different for everyone, I think. I think with the two, they um, parent with a lot of empathy. So they really are attuned to how their kids are thinking, which is a helpful parenting tip, right? Because they're not, they're really thinking about how is my, are my choices as a parent impacting my actual child? And not every type or every personality or every parent thinks in that way. And I think that's a really cool and beneficial strength that the twos bring. The three brings this belief and desire that their kids can be successful because they're all about achieving. So they're really creating and looking for opportunities for their child to have what they need to actually achieve at pretty, pretty high levels. So really thinking that through, um, I think is kind of an overarching and I can definitely go deeper if, if you want. Um, that romantic individualist number type four, their children are safe being who they are. So they're really thinking about who, how is my child showing up? And I'm letting them show up that way. I'm not putting judgment on it. I'm letting them show up that way. And so that's one of the things I believe is a strength um, for them. Um, the five investigative thinker, they're really creating opportunities for their child to think and learn. Um, one of their strengths is really that older child. So they, they tend to really flourish as a as a parent, when that child gets to that point where they're constantly asking why and the curiosity is there, they are flourishing as a parent. That's really their sweet spot. Um, the loyal guardian, type six, one of their strengths is they're always looking to think about how they can be the best possible parent. So they're like, they want to be a great parent. They strive in it. If we were to name someone as a natural parenter, like it would probably that loyal guardian number six, like they just were born to be a mom. Um, they just naturally do it. Um, the seven, the entertaining optimist, they're, they're looking for opportunities for their kids to have adventure and fun. So that's what they're looking for. They may, if they, if their lifestyle can make make it where they can travel a lot, they'll do that. If their lifestyle doesn't do that, they're finding the adventure in the park when places where no one else would even know that there was adventure there. Um, the protective challenger um, really wants their child to make sure they always know they're safe. So that ideally, no, typically that type A parent, their child's gonna know that they're safe and their comfort and there's nothing, there's nothing they need to worry about because their, their parent is actually taking care of that. And that nine parent gives is similar, um, I think, to some of the other types in terms that it the nine, that peaceful mediator, it allows the child to explore whatever that child wants to explore. So they're not going to judge it. They're not going to try to put limitations. If the child has the idea, 
they're letting that child go after it. And they're maybe even giving opportunities for the child to have a chance to go after what they're thinking. So again, very brief overview of kind of the types and typically some of the more positive attributes that come from their parenting that tend to be very natural for them. Yeah. I I mean, like, I was like, I mean, I identify with yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm and going through in my head, like the people that I know and what. Yeah, I was. Are. I'm like, it's... oh, yeah, that applies. Well, and I think it's interesting because remember I said sometimes I'm tested as a four, that they're the same. Yeah, it's the similar parenting style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between this is the and... beauty of the Enneagram, though. It's not one is better than the other. Like, right. I'm yes. not saying one is better than the other. It's just what comes naturally and being aware of it so that it doesn't cause um, harm or dissent or conflict with those that you're in relationship with. But no, one is not better than the other. I agree 100%. I really do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is my kind of next question for you. Like, we have an outline we're following, but I, like, I'm like i kind of going off track, but it, I get there. So I have heard many times that sometimes your strengths end up being your weaknesses or your virtues are actually your vices mm-hmm. in disguise. So we've talked about what are maybe like our natural strengths. Then what tend to be our natural weaknesses? Are you just going to read the same list because <laughs> because my <laughs> schedule making and need for order and organization, I already know, mm-hmm. can also sometimes be my weakness in parenting. So Tasha, tell me straight. <laughs> and their weaknesses and that, uh, that term is maybe not even the best term. It's because of the impact it can have on those relationship with. So in this case, what is the impact it has in relationship with your child and how you all interact? So one of the things that one has to really look out for is being so rigid mm-hmm. that their child doesn't think they can make a mistake. So what happens if they accidentally don't follow that schedule on the refrigerator? Not even on purpose. They just get caught up in something. And what is going to happen? What is going to be your response? And how do you prepare yourself to respond in a way that your girls don't end up thinking they can't make a mistake. They can't right. drift at any point. So right. that's the thing you have to watch out for because you don't want them to think that they have to be perfect because perfection isn't doesn't exist. But ones, again, the title, more perfectionist, sometimes the bar for a one is perfection. So it never happens. And you just right. keep working and you're like, well, why isn't it reaching it? Because it can't. So I think that's yeah. the one thing that the ones really, really have to look out. Um, I think the twos, they're supportive. Sometimes that support can look like I'm going to actually do it for you all the time. Mm -hmm. So they have to really watch out their children actually begin to have a mind of their own and can start building the independence age appropriate, of course, developmentally appropriate. But we know with every developmental milestones and each one the child hits, there's some level of independence that should be slowly progressing. Sometimes that supportive advisor, their weakness can become they're not allowing their child to get that. And the child can become over dependent on their their parent for that actual support. So you have to really, really look out. Successful achiever can just expect more than what their child is comfortable doing. And it's I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, of course I'm a one. Nothing wrong with having a high bar for your child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that you're totally right. <laughs> But you have to be careful that what you're expecting of your child actually isn't either developmentally appropriate, Mm -hmm. where they are intellectually, not because anything's wrong with their intellect. It's just not where they are, that you're not projecting that on them. Um, Also, just like ones, threes can sometimes over schedule. 
So really making sure you're not overscheduling the point that you're smothering the child and the child never has a voice. You don't even know what the child really likes because you're just scheduling, scheduling, scheduling. So really being careful for that. Um, the four, similar to the two, can sometimes overprotect their child and smother them. And so sometimes that 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 um, that kind of romanticizing everything can turn into smothering. So just really being careful. Um, the five can be um, similar to the three in terms of like they they want that that's the investigative thinker. So they can want intellect so deeply that the child isn't ready for intellect because they're one, right? So they're not right. intellectually <laughs> engaging with you, but is it trying to push them too fast forward in a way that's not appropriate? And I think really being careful with the investigative thinker and even everyone doing it for your needs, not for the child. So you're pushing your child to think you're questioning, but is it to really foster curiosity in them because you know that there's some value in that or is it to satisfy your own needs for curiosity and being able to think and engage? The loyal guardian, the thing that I, the weakness that I would love for them to think about is actually not as much about their child, but protecting themselves. Sometimes the loyal guardian can be the one that they're reading a parent book a day. They're just constantly looking for the way to be the better parent instead of settling into what they already know. And so their child is constantly getting the newest idea on parenting, the newest research, the newest way, when in reality, they're natural parenters. And so if they just parent in the way that becomes natural, that they actually are going to show up as their best self instead of looking and reading the newest book constantly um, and really being aware of that. The entertaining optimist type seven, there has to be some structure. It cannot be fun all the time. So finding that balance of, yes, the kids need to have fun. You'd have fun with your kids. But where is the place where you need to stop and have structure and say, well, no, we actually have to stop and do this. It is important to have bath time. You have to be clean. So bath time can't just be playing and doing that. So like, how are you kind of stopping that? And I think eight, it's okay if the child falls and hurts himself. If the child's a teenager, they may have to go through some rough relationships with the other teens in their life and you can't run in to protect them. Doesn't mean you don't guide them, but you can't run in and you know, you're in, you know, you may be monitoring social media and before they realize there's a problem, you're already telling them this is what you need to say. Like really being careful that you don't lose that protection that you want to have as a parent, but you're giving them a chance to figure it out. And then the nine, the peaceful mediator, making sure the child does hear no sometimes. Sometimes the peaceful mediator can just let whatever the agenda of the child, whatever that child is dreaming up, that's just how things flow. And it will feel pretty good to that peaceful mediator, right? There's no conflict. So it feels good to just say yes, yes, yes. But, the, but part of the role of a parent, I think most people agree with, is setting some type of bad boundaries. So being aware of that. So again, it's not about a right or a wrong. It's just being aware. The one thing I would say for every, every single one, I mentioned this some with the six, but I would say this for every type. With the Enneagram, all of this is driven by some motivation we have for ourselves that we're trying to fulfill. So be careful of when your parenting type becomes an excuse to fulfill a need that your children have no business trying to feel. Like that need may need to be met through your own self-development. It may be a need that should be met with your partner or your mate. It may be need that needs to be met through some type of your spiritual life, but your child is not the one that should be meeting that need. And sometimes a seeking a need turns into trying to, without even realizing it, our child fulfilling that for us. 
Mm-hmm. So again, like the peaceful mediator, I don't want conflict. Maybe there's a lot of conflict right now with all my adults. So instead of addressing what I need to with my child, I say, well, I'm just going to leave that conflict there and avoid all of it over here. The need is learning how to work through conflict. So being yeah. aware of that. Really getting down to the nuts and bolts is how do we live with each other? I mean, my husband is not my personality type. My kids aren't. And then there are other challenges that, that we face. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for that? I think the beauty of the Enneagram is if you really make time to learn who you are on the Enneagram, you can develop important skill of empathy. And if you really stop for a second, you have to slow down, which sometimes is hard for certain types. But if you slow down for a minute and think, how does this choice or these words impact this person in my life because of their personality and what they're bringing? I think that's the first thing I would do is just really slow down and think about it. It may make me feel comfortable. It may make me feel good. But what is the impact of my words? What is the impact of what my actions on this person? Mm -hmm. I would also advise really thinking about, I consider, you said you get the, you parent the children you're given. And I consider that to be the most beautiful gift. Often the challenges of our parenthood are a gift to us being a better person. That's so true. Yes. And if you don't allow that, you're missing one of the gifts of being a parent, especially of being a mom. And so as hard as that may be, stop and thinking, how do I use this conflict, this difference to be a better mom or a parent to my child? And how do I also just help me become a better human? So I would say start with that, the empathy, and then how do you become a better person? parent and how do you come up better just you and so the the, you're giving the children you have for a reason so you become a better you and then for me and how I think about the world you become a better tool for everyone else that you get a chance to encounter Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the gifts of being a mom or a parent I only know what it means to be a mom but I'll say parent I don't know yeah Yeah. (laughs) so so I I've heard often that you should not um, try to type other people, but specifically your children. So in that instance, I like that you're pointing to, like, you need to learn more about yourself and gather those tools rather than try to figure out what your kids are. Is that kind of the gist of that? Yes, you definitely should not Genogram is not meant for you to type someone else. Mm -hmm. You can look at trends, but don't type someone else. Think about I am this number. So this is typically how I react. What is this person maybe doing or saying often that causes this? That doesn't mean that they're automatically a five. It means they have a tendency to do this. And because I may type whatever, this is how I react that I know is not healthy for our relationship or for me. But you don't, I would not type a child. I would wait till a child is actually an adult or shows interest as maybe as a teenager, they could maybe do it. But I would not try to type your child. I would just more think of similar how we thought about the types. What are the things my child likes? What are my child's strengths? What are the things my child's working, you know, find challenging? Now, based on my Enneagram, what does that mean about how I may need to adjust my parenting? What does that mean about the inner conversation I need to have with myself? What does that mean that I may need to do a little bit less or a little bit more? Um, If there is a a co-parent, what does that mean for my husband or my wife Mm -hmm. or my other parent? And how can we lean in based on their types and their strengths? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One, I've I've said this like a million times in 
Beth probably wants to lean over and vomit. She's heard it so much. But um, I think there are two really hard things about motherhood. Just two. That's it. Wow. As an Enneagram one, (laughs) let me tell you the truth. (laughs) Number one is, in an order that I've typed out, just kidding, (laughs) is that motherhood is the long game. It's a marathon and it's long, right? You There isn't, it's not a sprint, not a sprint. Number two is if you are a mother that has more than one child, the shocking realization that you have to be two different types of mothers or three or four, depending on how many kids you have. Like that was... I don't know that I don't know why it was a shock to me, but I've heard from other mothers too. Like you just you get into a groove with your first of like what quote unquote works, what's comfortable, what's good for the kiddo. Okay, so yeah. tell me how you do that a little bit because I know it's not going to be like me, but I don't know how I do it. I don't know. <laughs> I do like I am still learning very much as my kids are growing and becoming who they are. It is it's really difficult to do it differently with each child especially when it doesn't feel natural yeah, in certain ways. So yeah, it's always harder mm-hmm. when it's not your natural bent, mm-hmm. you know, because you yeah. have to put, it requires more energy and effort, yeah. both like of your body and your mind mm-hmm. and your emotions. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a question that, um, you know, I said I've perused a few Enneagram books. One of them was called the Sacred Enneagram. And he talks a lot about the childhood wound and how, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but do your best. Yes. But this concept that our type develops almost out of some wound we had in childhood. Um, Can you speak a little bit more to that? Simply because I read this and I immediately thought, Oh, no. How am I screwing up my kid? <laughs> no. Which Enneagram is the worst and which one do I not want them to be? What you know? wound have I like, inflicted? Yes, yeah. that was just it. It was not like me trying to figure out, OK, what motivates me? It was how am I going to screw up my kids and how can I not screw them up? <laughs> so how can how does that tie into this whole Enneagram thing? It does. It ties in. I think my training, instead of using the word wounds, we use the word longing, like something your childhood left you longing for, which I think is to me sounds less detrimental than a wound, yes. but there may have been a message you give your kids either directly or indirectly. So you may give them a message that, you know, they do need to be the smartest in the room without you. You may never say that, or you may, um, but if that is the message they hear all the time, that will certainly stick with them, right? If if you give them the message that they have to be perfect, that will stick with them. If you give them a message that schedules don't really matter and they never have to follow one, that will stick with them. And so there's something they will long for. They were here. They may hear that they're not good enough. So there are certain messages. So you, you reference things you hear playing in your head. Some of that comes from that longings. I don't think you were you should worry about wounding your child or hurting your child or this is what I don't want them to come. And then I go I go back to what I said before. I think the beauty of the Enneagram is it's a tool for you to know yourself. And if you find that balance, there is less likely that your child's gonna be left with something. But we're human. So we're naturally gonna have something that someone Absolutely. says. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You're not gonna be able to change that. That doesn't mean you're a bad pa- parent. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. 
there are certain things that we hear that we're more sensitive to that stick with us. And so the hope will be whatever that is for your children, they learn to grow up and to turn that into something positive and doesn't become something negative and they learn how to manage it. Um, but I would just learn about yourself and think about, you know, what it may be. So again, if I, let's say you're a type seven and you're really on big on the adventure and the, and the entertainer, are you, is that something, are you teaching your child that that is the only way to live life? Are you giving them choices to live life in a different way? So where is the choice coming when it is appropriate for them to have choice? Where do you stop and say, I'm pushing this on my child without even paying attention to the emotions it evokes, whether it brings them joy or not? Am I just pushing it on them because it's what's natural and easy for me? And I think when it's constantly pushed is when I think the word wound can become very appropriate um, when we don't want our ch children wounded. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is it's gets like we can't solve the whole nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> like conversation. I think it is a collection of both, because I do think I mean, I bet we could say, Beth you had children in your womb that when you look back on your pregnancies, you can kind of tell some about the personality by the way they behaved in the womb. Right. So oh, that was sure. well before, yeah. you know, they had any kind of like, well, I mean, they are getting, there are, is nurture happening yeah. the way you're talking to them, treating your body, all that stuff. But yeah. you haven't had yet had a chance to wound them emotionally or have them longing for something in, in your womb. Um, like the personality part, is with us like from like when we're made i think and then it may be shaped by what happens to us or messages we get how we're raised those kinds of things like for better or worse but like it's kind of the core of who you are and, and what motivates you mm -hmm. okay so for our listeners who are really interested in deep diving into this more what resources would you recommend for them I would first, um, and they can message me on Facebook is probably easy and I can give them, I think it depends on what they're wanting resources for. I think the first thing is to get access to a reliable assessment. There's a lot of different assessment tools out there. Um, your Enneagram coach, I think has a great um, assessment that they could start with um, that's free and I find it to be reliable. I've used a different, a bunch of different tests. So that's one I would start with. Um, and I think that's where they should start. And then I think the next thing to do is just start reading about their type. But remembering that reading about your type is not meant to condemn you. It's not, that's not the point of it. It's just to begin some understanding and seeing where you can say an aha. Um, that's where I would, I would start with them is just get the, a really strong assessment. And then from there deciding is something they want to explore. Um, do they want a full coaching, they want to just find a good book and to read on their own. How, how is it applicable for their life? And to find out if it's a good fit for them and how to think about it. For me personally, it was the first personality tool or anything I ever used where I literally thought they had someone had snuck into my life. And <laughs> I, know. Um, I actually like sent my sister clips and I said, now you can understand me and understand the words you use that may be too much for me to handle. Like, like it was like the insight. I know you've known me my whole life, but here's the real insight. And so I just found for me it to be the most truthful without mm -hmm. me feeling lesser than for being my true self. Cause I, yeah. no one wants to feel bad about who they are. That's great. Super. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is, what is Enneagram counseling or sorry, coaching look like? Like if someone were to go through that process, what does that look like? 
So I think it depends. They would start out with just some goal development. Like what is it they're trying to work on? But it would be really helping them think through starting relationships. What are some of the ways their Enneagram type is are hindering and actually helping their relationships succeed? Um, so really starting deep with those relationships, thinking about how they can show up in their better self. So with every type, we talked about the strengths and the weakness. How can they leverage more what's naturally a strength? and realize what is that core motivation that may be missing that allows the negative sides to show up more. So if that negative constantly is showing up, there is probably some motivation, something that is not being met and is helping them realize how do they get more of that? How do they tap into it? So they can show up more in those, the more beautiful parts, the things we long for in our type show up more naturally and more frequently. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tasha. This has been a treat. We will have links um, to these resources and more information about Tasha as well and how you can get in touch with her if you would like. You can find all of that in our show notes at fwmoms.com. Tasha, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, visit fwmoms.com. To see the notes from this show, including links to products and content mentioned in this episode. And one more time, just in case you missed it, fwmoms.com. Fort Worth Moms.